Hi, Jason. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, can you hear me good? Yes. All right, awesome. <laughs> have you ever done a podcast before? Uh, Yeah, I've done a couple of them. Okay, cool. Who's have you done? You did Chris's and Heather's? Yeah, I've definitely I've done theirs a bunch of times, and then I've done um, one couple of times the car guys. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. I'm waiting for uh, for Karen to pull in. She's pulling in right now. I, I, I'm gonna that we can rehash the old uh, nightmare Airbnb story. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sounds good to me. That's such a good story. Right? I know you guys were like, if, "What?" If you guys were so like animated and like so intense telling it you wouldn't believe it <laughs> well and no one that we tell about it actually believes it they're always just like what no that can't happen it's not supposed to happen it's airbnb it's supposed to be all protected i'm like no they don't do anything they don't do anything to protect yeah but that. the thing is you both it was like you both had the same story like and like elaborated off of each other yeah it was definitely uh it was definitely a tale for the times here she is coming. Yeah, the people now. that don't believe it, they don't travel enough to know that everything is not uh, rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's a good place to start. Rainbows and unicorns. No, a good place to start is traveling because you do an awful, an awful lot of it. And there's lots of things I want to touch on, um, on it. And you know, we'll hopefully we'll we'll talk for an hour, hour and a half, whatever, whatever time you can spare. But okay. Um, so let's talk about your travel schedule for this coming year Where okay you're so i i'm assuming you're going to be in daytona normally yes that is um the start of my traveling um so i'll be in daytona that's where i'm going to kind of debut my new bike um my indian and we have our paint show on wednesday the 11th at the broken spoke and i'll also be racing at sons of speed which is the first saturday night I don't know the date off the top of my head. I think it's the ninth. Does that sound right? Uh, yeah. Or the eighth? I think the eighth is. Yeah, the so. first Saturday um, in the race is, I believe, at six o'clock at night. The, uh, I don't. I don't know if it's just I'm in tune to it this year more than than the last couple of years because you would think that I would spend a lot of time over there being that I live in Florida so but I actually don't get to spend I haven't spent an entire week over there since I've lived down here I've always gone over there come back go over there come back it's only a couple hours from my house but I, I never find myself with the ability to just stay for the whole week I'll usually show up <clears throat> Wednesday um, go to Bill's party Wednesday night go to the go to uh, Willie's on Thursday, which um, I always see Dave there at Willie's. I don't know if do you go there. As yeah, well? my dad. Both of us love Willie. That's a and great Willie show. And Willie himself too. He's such a great guy. That used to be for me, you know, and, and maybe you can elaborate more on this because I'll be honest with you. Like you and I both share the same. The one thing we both have in common is is that we both had motorcycles in our living rooms growing up. Um, <laughs> you know and we have a few years separating us and your dad has always done it professionally as far as, as far as I know, at least as long as I've known that your dad did it, he did it professionally where my dad did it as kind of as an amateur until we opened our shop. But, um, the shows that we had in, in Detroit were normally, you know, indoor shows. They were wintertime, springtime, and not a whole lot in the summer. And there wasn't a lot of people that traveled from, or at least not in my dad's circle of people that traveled down to Daytona. So until I started coming to Daytona, I didn't have anything 
kind of benchmark that. There was the one or two shows in the wintertime. And then it seemed like 03, 04, 05, there was a ton of shows in Daytona. And now I feel like the last, I don't know, eight years, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like the shows kind of gotten smaller and smaller and fewer and further between, but they seem to be coming back. They, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And I think that the motorcycle industry, well, I mean, I kind of know the motorcycle industry kind of took a dive right? and, you know, and it, cause it got over flooded, you know, it got flooded with chopper shops. It got flooded with shows. It got flooded with events. And, you know, you can only go so far. There's, you know, you can be, when there's 20 different events for you to go to, you know, you pick one when there's right. only five, you know, it's like, okay, now the chances of you going to one of those five is more. Um, and I think it was the same thing, you know, with the shows, the shows at the rallies, let's say. Right. Um, and now there's, there is, there does seem to be a lot of shows, but I feel, I almost feel like there's still not that many, which is good. Because it's not flooding, you know, it's, it's, there's more quality than quantity. I would agree with that. And I think, um, uh, like, if you – Sturgis is somewhere where you're not going to go to Sturgis for a couple of days. You go to Sturgis for the whole time. And so right. I've been going there, you know, try to go there every year. And I noticed – so Cody and I try to get to Sturgis Saturday night, get unwound, and then it, it starts for us. Sunday is the FXR show, Right. Yep. Monday would be um, this last year, and I'm I'm thinking it's going to be again this year. The V Twin Visionary Performance uh, Performance Show. Yep. Then there's Tuesday. There's uh, Led Sled has his Sportster Showdown. Wednesday. Sure, okay. Wednesday is always your. Well, you really know the schedule. Well, I'm trying. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just happen to know Pat and I are good friends, so it's like oh, you know, I I know I want to hit these things because. I kind of, I'm different than, you know, Cody and I were just talking about this a little bit ago. Like, I'm probably the most unknown, known guy around. Everybody kind of knows me and kind of knows who I am, but they don't really know where I'm from or what I'm doing or anything because I don't really, I don't do a whole lot like you guys do. Like, I'm not, I'm not out setting uh, Bonneville Salt Flat Records and trying to drive on a bicycle that goes 100 miles an hour and trying to paint at the level that you paint at and, you know, all the other marketing things you do. I mean, you did the cannonball run thing. That's where we ran into you in Lakeland. I just, yeah. So for a guy like me, I, I want to know where everybody's going to be at. And so Wednesday, we always do your show, you and your dad's paint show, yep. right? And then Thursday is kind of the only down day that we have and Friday we're packing up to head back home. So I don't know. Daytona, it looks like Warren's got a show on Monday, which I would I would assume you're going to be at that, aren't you? The I think his grit? show is on Sunday. Is it okay? I'll have to look. Yeah, I, you better know. You better know your calendar. Yeah, I was going to say that's I, a good uh, show. You don't want to miss this show. I know. I ha I didn't make it to it. Uh, Biketoberfest. I don't remember why we didn't go over there f for that. I don't show, know. Did he have it at Biketoberfest? He had something because I don't know if it was Biketoberfest or he had something down. He didn't have the True Grit show at Biketoberfest. He had. Back about a month or so ago, didn't he? He had a show in Miami, I think. Oh, okay. Somewhere down there. But, uh, yeah, I, I like going to the shows because I know I'm going to run into um, people like yourself, uh, you know, your dad. I'm going to run into, yeah. you know, if there is anybody that is industry-based there, uh, that's generally where you, you know you're at least going to see him because I, I don't True. feel like the – I don't – now that I feel like there's Destination and then there's Main Street and then there's the – the speedway, which has kind of slowed down a little bit for aftermarket stuff. I don't know where I'm going to run into anybody. Yeah. 
I particularly don't care for the speedway. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's good spot and it seems to, you know, have a lot of the big vendors, you know, the manufacturers and that kind of stuff. So it is a good spot for them, but I feel like you can get lost in the shuffle out there. Yeah. So let's let, let me ask you this. So I think it was, was it 2010 or 20, 2011 when, when Bruce was killed on the way to Sturgis, I feel mm-hmm. like that, that put a big dent in everything that was going on in Daytona. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, I mean, I, I know the Rothmeyer girls very well and I'm friends with them. And I think that they've done a great job carrying it on, but there's nothing like the presence of Bruce as it is my dad. Right. You know, my dad has a, has such a big presence too. And it's, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe we haven't earned enough yet to have that presence, but I would say a little bit. But I mean, no, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things factored into it. Well, you and I both have our own identities, but we both did have uh, fathers that cast a large wake. You know, um, yeah, much smaller scale for me than for you, but. I still get people that come into the shop that don't know that my dad passed and they're like, where's Rick? What's, you know, and then you tell them and you can just see, it's like it, it, it changes things. But my dad, he could talk the ear off of a dead man. Like, and, and that was just, that's what people remember about him. He was big. He had long hair. He was a biker, you know, and he was nice and would talk to anybody. And that's, that's what he remembers or what people remember about him. And, you know, your dad is kind of um, very enigmatic as well. Like, I've probably had three conversations with your dad and he probably wouldn't know me from, from Adam because your dad gets so much input thrown at him. And he said so many, to be fair, he's had so many guys like me over the last 45 years or 46 years that he's been doing this that I know of that I'm sure that it's hard, it's hard to stick out in his mind. It's hard to be an outlier in his mind. It it is. But I mean, I think the thing my dad's pretty good at is that he could he could, he could um, make you think that he knows you. You know, he'll play it off, you know, pretty good to a point. And then once you say something that, you know, sparks his memory, he'll, you know, join right in, full conversation. You know, that's that's what's good about him. He tries to never make anybody feel like he doesn't remember them or they're anything less than him or just because he has more experience and more years, you know, doesn't make him a guy you can't talk to. Right. That my dad's my dad's best move ever was I would stand there and watch him talk to somebody and I'm listening to him and they're talking about an event and my dad's like, Yeah, I, you know, I remember that and this and that and I'm like, There's absolutely no way on God's green earth my dad remembers what's going on and he'll have a twenty five minute conversation with somebody and I'll walk by and go, Who's that? He goes, Ah <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Or he'll go, That was John and I'm like, John who? He's like, Ah John <laughs> I'm like, do you know him? Yeah. He's like, no. <laughs> that was my. That was the thing about my dad is he had that too, where he made you feel like you were the most important person at that moment while you're having that conversation, and and you were you were one on one with him. He gave you that gave you that attention. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't. He wants to be on the same level as anybody else. So, you we touched on a couple things there. So, um, getting back to the events and stuff, I agree that there's there's much higher quality events. And I think that is because, and I don't know if, how you feel about this, but I feel like myself 
and yourself and everybody in our peer group, because I think we're in the same peer group. Um, sure. We've been to enough crappy shows and we've been to enough good shows. So we want to see the, the better shows happen. And, and even yeah. though it's different, I mean, I'm sure you remember 03, 04, where it was, it cost $10,000 or something crazy or $4,000 to set up. And you had on Main Street, you had Indian Larry, uh, Johnny Chop, you had Oh, yeah, those Fab are the Kevin. even Jesse James. Yeah, Jesse James was there. I can remember when we went in 04, Jesse James was on Main Street. Jesse Rook was over behind um, in a little Italian restaurant on Beach Street past everybody, like in little, had enough room for a 10 by 10. And, you know, and then things change now. And I don't know if yeah. you've seen it, but have you seen Beach Street? There's zero yes. motorcycle business there now. It's all leveled. Yes, it's crazy. Yeah, and it shows like corporate America is taking over. Well, from what I heard, there was a lawyer that bought. This is and maybe you can you can corroborate this, but I was told that Bruce Rossmeyer owned the lion's share of the property there along the intercoastal waters on Beach Street on both sides, and he wanted to develop the side where the water is into the condos with the bike shops under it and the motorcycle related businesses and the restaurants and that. And Daytona fought him, and that's when he went to. Ormond Beach and started building Destination. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I was heard. Yeah, heard. I believe that's true. Hmm. Well, I, you know, it's just funny how it happens where, you know, you were saying earlier, like, they're doing a great job carrying it on, but you, there's something missing, right? Like, that driving right. force and that the scope of, of his vision and, and how big that area can be. And I don't know. I feel like that's, to some degree it's splintered like us from the industry, like not, I feel like we don't know where to set up. We don't know where to go. We don't know where to be. And that's why I wanted to talk about the shows. Like I know that you're going to be at a certain show. I know I'm going to see you on Thursday. I know I'm going to see you at your show. So that's two times that you get FaceTime with somebody. Yeah. I, see, that's the thing. That's just part of the reason why we don't set up or we don't, you know, have a display. It's because it's almost like, where do you set up? And then when you do decide where you're going to set up, you got to man that booth every day from, you know, nine to six at the least. And yep. that's a, that's a lot. I, I feel like, you know, we're lucky that we can just say, Hey, you know what? You're bound to find us at Willie's yep. and you come by our paint show. Yep. We'll be there. You know, that's two days. And you have the chance to, to see us. And it seems to work really well because people make a point to come find us at one of those two events or, you know, or like Sons of Speed, you know, I will be there Friday practicing and I'll be there on Saturday, you know? So it's good because people, like I said, will make a point to come find us because we're, there's only certain times. But I mean, when we used to display, we used to um, display right at the end of Main Street, um, kind of by the bridge a little bit, like where everybody else, we like Indian yeah. Larry and all them set up. And that was an awesome spot back in the day. Like, we would have so much fun over there. Like, just, you know, <laughs> sorry, carrying on <laughs> with everybody and, you know, that kind of stuff. And then it just kind of died. You know, where the people on Main Street got greedy and they wanted too much money for vendor spots and everybody and their brothers selling T-shirts. It yeah. just didn't didn't work anymore. Well, you know, so I think that kind of killed it where, you know, like I said, like, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. 
they, you know, they tried to make, you know, get more money out of us because it got so big. And then, you know, it just kind of backfired. Like, I would love to know the spot that we used to have. It was a dry cleaners. I would love to know what they get for that spot because I bet it's probably not even a quarter of what, you know, they tried charging us. Oh, not only that, because, but the whole that whole area has turned into, I don't even, it, it's, it's still it's still Main Street. It's still Bike Week. That still goes on. But the uh, the sheer magnitude of how many people were on a pedestal and how many people were, I call them dude bros. Like you have to, you know for a fact that, <clears throat> and you can probably think when I tell you this, you'll probably think of at least one person. You might even remember their name, but that you actually thought you were you were led to believe that you were friends with this person and that when things got tough, you would be able to rely on this person and they would call you and you would talk to them on the way home from work. And this is before mm-hmm. Facebook and all that, that stuff. So social media wasn't exist. It was not existent. Right. So you actually had to pick up the phone and call somebody and then they just evaporated. They, uh, it, it yeah. wasn't somewhere, it wasn't a cookie jar that they could just walk up to take a cookie out anymore in the cookie jar being the, the motorcycle business. And these, some of them were talented, most of them were nice, most of them, but they were all, I don't know. It's like they wanted to try to um, catch lightning in a be bottle. Be famous? Yeah, you know, that, and they wanted to catch lightning in a bottle to, to be famous overnight. And it wasn't. Yeah. You could, you, I, I always tell people this too, like this is the biggest, the smallest rather billion dollar industry I can think of. I can't think of another industry that's a billion dollar industry. And I mean the the custom aftermarket motorcycle, Harley Davidson market, just that side of it. Yep that you could pick up the phone right now and call any CEO of any manufacturer. I could too. And, and usually get within one person of them with one phone call. Right. I mean, think of, yeah, I, I agree. There's not another one you can do that with. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's tough because this is a tiny industry and, you know, I find that, you know, seeing my dad and growing up in it, you have to have a passion for it. You can't be doing it as, you know, a hobby and try to make a living off of it. You can't be doing it to try to get famous. You can't be doing it to try to get rich. You know, it's, that's just not what this industry is about. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people that have gotten rich, but I can guarantee you they didn't start doing motorcycles or they have something else that's fueling their motorcycle business. I mean, it's my dad and I was literally just talking about this, that there's hardly anybody in this industry that doesn't have another source of income. We, you know, these custom bike builders, they all, you know, which obviously there's some exceptions, but they all have something else that brings in money, whether it's an investor, another business, you know, a rich wife, like <laughs> something. <laughs> You know, because you're not, it's not a millionaire's game, you know, you just, you have to have a passion for it. And, you know, yeah, my dad's made a good living out of it and, and, you know, me as well, but we struggle, you know, we, we wait till the last day to pay our bills and, you know, to make ends meet, but we do it. And, you know, I just feel like that's, you literally have to have a passion now. You know, the days of the hundred thousand dollar motorcycles are done. And they are, that's done. And the other thing too, like, and you can speak on this directly and you don't have to, I mean, and please understand that this is comes, comes from a place of, of, of a good place But you guys, I mean, you guys probably 
as as much as anybody took a took a pretty big hit when the economy went because you guys had you guys had that giant facility that was oh I mean, yeah that can you talk about that is it is it yeah is it like a, a wound yeah, no, that you I don't mean, want to talk about I mean because yeah no 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 I mean we I you know it's myself as well as my dad will have no problem talking about it because it's you know it's the real truth and it was you know we grew so fast so quick that you know we had to have a bigger building and you know that our last building was 12,000 square feet and that's a big building and not necessarily you know you think oh wow what are you gonna do with all that space but you have to keep that space you have to have electricity in that space you pay taxes on that space you know you have to plow the parking lot in the winter time like you have to maintain all that and and that's what was just killing us that it was like you know this building is just too much it was you know i could see that like you know my dad was distressed every day about making ends meet with a slow economy yeah and, and i mean it was us getting rid of that building you know selling that building moving where we are now it was was a blessing because i can see you know we're in a space that's very manageable and you know another thing with that building is we were right on a main main road right you know the the building was gorgeous there was you know it was a place for people to stop and i can't tell you how many tire kickers we would have every day <laughs> you know coming in just to chit chat and you know you you can't you can't judge a book by its cover so you've got to give everybody time you can't just say oh you know look at this guy he's not going to buy anything you know let's get rid of him you, you want to know who somebody is so it's like that took away from work yeah you know it's like we got more work done at night and on the weekend yep we found we found that out i mean you know <clears throat> karen and i talk about it all the time like we moved into uh the building we're in right now is 8200 square foot but we structured the lease so that we could uh sublease the unit. So basically we got like a whole industrial row and we're figuring out how much space we need right now. You know, we've been in it about eight, nine months. We're figuring out how much space we need. And then we structured the lease over a five year period where we, we front, where we backloaded it. So it was manageable on the front end. Right. And then every year yep. it just clicks up a little bit and we'll be able to rent out the back space to kind of sub uh, subsidize or, you know, what is that word I'm looking for? Subsidy or you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, yeah, um, yeah, offset like our, yeah ups, offset our lease so that our, our payment stays manageable throughout the course, yep. throughout the course of the whole five year lease. Um, but when you have something like that and, and you, when you go back to a smaller building, like I made the most money I ever made for myself and had the most manageable situation for myself when we were in the small, like a 1500 square foot shop, we did, Two hundred and thirty thousand with me and one other guy, and it wasn't that other guy wasn't even full time. You know what I mean? And I didn't have yeah. the tire kickers that you're talking about. Like I kid around with Cody all the time. I'm like, I cannot wait for the next economic downturn. And he's like, you can't say that. And I'm like, ah, I don't. I'm not wishing that. I'm not trying to wish that into existence. What I'm saying is, is that when Karen and I moved down to Florida, it was in 2010, and it was as bad as things were going to get. And we started yeah. Cycle Stop US. We sold our shop to Evan. Uh, we sold JR Cycle Works to Evan in August of 2009. Came down here. It took us about eight months. Opened up Cycle Stop USA down here. But 
the people that we had that were customers, they weren't tire kickers. If somebody came yeah. to the door, they needed a tire. They needed an oil change. Um, something broke on their bike. Right. You and, get you know, real custom it. Exactly. And then, and, you know, and then the big wheel bagger thing happened. And I'm, you know, we did really good with that. We made a lot of money. We made a lot of friends. We built what I think are fantastic motorcycles that would that would run with anybody else's you know stuff out there. Uh, I'm not as flashy as some people are, but those customers were a different kind of customer than what we're used to back back in the chopper days. Like you had a kind of a you can you know you remember the demographic of what a chopper guy was. You know he went to Bike Week. He you know they had the he, I kid around. They had the Affliction jeans, the chain wallet, the Affliction shirt. Uh, or sure. or the denim shirt with the sleeves cut off of it with the phrase the, you know the the, <laughs> the Paul the, the Paul yeah the fringe the Paul Tuttle the Paul Tuttle senior outfit right yeah. and that was yeah, the, the chopper Paul guy Tuttle starter kit. Sure. yeah the Paul Tuttle starter, starter kit and then and then it 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 changed for a couple of years and the only people that were coming in were people that that actually needed something very few people you know every once in a while you'd get a custom build here or there and then and then it took off to the races again and it changed. And now I feel like there's a bunch of people that got back out of it again. And and I don't know if you see that, like I see it, but I feel like four years ago, there are way more people doing this than what there are now. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that, but a little bit, I am a little bit blind to that because we weren't, we, we were never in the, that bagger scene and, you know, and that's probably why, because I mean, I'm I'm assuming that it's those guys that don't exist anymore, because those guys are the same. It was the same thing as the shop is that, you know, oh, bag is a cool. All of a sudden, let's open a bag of shop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like bag of this, bag of that, and like in the chopper days, I remember I saw Chihuahua choppers. And I was like, oh, boy, that's it. The chopper industry's done. What? You know, because I was like, Chihuahua choppers. Chihuahua shop is literally, and I, I'll never forget, like, I can picture the t-shirt, it was like, literally a little, like, Taco Bell Chihuahua, and I thought, oh my god, this is what we have to resort to, because everything else, Choppa, is already taken. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, they, like, they ran out of, pathetic. they went through the full alphabet, and then they started, <laughs> you know, that was something I never put, um, I followed uh, your dad's lead, and people like, uh, you know, I grew up, um, Steve from Stevenson Cycle. I'm sure you know Steve Broyles. Yeah, yeah, good guy. Yeah, well, so he's kind of he's been my mentor since day one, and he was uh, the guy that worked that did the stuff on my dad's bike that my dad didn't have the ability to do through either tools or time or whatever. Steve took care of my dad's shovel heads, and uh, I followed his lead and guys like your dad. And I didn't put chopper. I've never put chopper in anything I've done. Yeah, right, right, because you don't wanna you know, stereotype yourself that this is what we do. Or time Because when that craze is done, that's it. So yep. what, now Now you have a business called Choppa and bag is a cool. So nobody's going to come to you. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's what happened with a lot of the guys in, in both, you know, both ways of Choppa's and bag is. But, I mean, a lot of people, the, the guys that don't exist anymore, they're the ones that didn't do their homework, that haven't followed it. You know, they're like, oh, nice bike is. Well, not only that, but they weren't doing anything that was unique. And part of the problem that I've always had with this, and everybody starts in their garage, right? Your dad started in his garage. Yeah. Arlen started <laughs> in his garage. My dad started in his garage. 
Um, at some point in time, you've got to pull the trigger and you've got to get out of the garage if you want to be considered a professional, at least in my book. True. There's a few outliers that do it at a high level that, um, you know, uh, one of my best friends in the world, Cody, I don't, I've been at, I've been in professional motorcycle shops that don't have the kind of equipment and the kind of know-how that he has and the things he's put into it. So I, I give him a pass a little bit, not just because he's my friend, but because I've worked with him and I, and I know yeah. how, how good he is at what he does, but there's, there's like zero cost of, there's like no barriers to entry in here. You just have to have a cool design, a cool t-shirt, build one bike, buy a lift and put choppers or bagger after whatever name it is. And then you're, you know, those, those folks come and they take business away from shops like yours shops like mine shops like right. steve's and they operate at a they operate at the bottom and they undercut us on all the labor and all the you know i mean i'm sure you've had bikes come into your shop that from the outside look pretty decent and you start getting into them and they're just absolute shit shows the, the thing is is those guys yeah they do take away our business but eventually the customer comes back to us yep because either the quality isn't there, the workmanship isn't there, or they're out of business. Right. I mean, I can't tell you how many bikes that we have had in our shop from, you know, big name builders at the time that they are absolutely unrideable, unsafe, pathetic excuses for, you know, motorcycles. And, and that's, you know, that's, hey, that's, you know, yeah, gladly we'll fix We'll fix some other people's mistakes, and that's unfortunately, you know, what happens in a lot of those cases with these, you know, overnight bike builders that just, you know, are in it for the wrong reasons and don't have the knowledge that they think they do, or the skills, or the tools, like you said, equipment. Right. You know, and they unfortunately rip people off. I hate it when those people turn good customers away from motorcycling, because. Yes. Because that's, that's what they associate because I look like they do, or they look like I do. (laughs) I carry myself the way that they carry themselves or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, You know, like if it walks like a duck and quacks, it's a duck kind of thing, but they turn people away from, from being, you know, having a quality experience because they're inexperienced and they're not, they're not cautious, even though they may be caring about it and they may be conscientious about what they don't have this. They haven't, they haven't done the work on the front end of it. You know what I mean? They haven't right. come up like, I'm sure you, you know, I'm sure you were walking around your dad's motorcycle shop, you know, one step shy of being in a diaper and learning how to change oil when you were, when it was appropriate and you could pick up the tools and you could do that kind of stuff. Just, just kind of like I did. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I was out in the shop, uh, you know, I, I have an older brother and whatever my older brother did, I wanted to do. And, you know, that was my brother's very hands-on. He's very, good mechanic and you know he's he's smart on engines and stuff like that so i mean regardless you know my dad was always working but it was like a hey you want to go out in the garage and i was like yeah and you know my brother and i would be in the back room tinkering with stuff and my dad would be painting or you know working on bikes or whatnot and you know he'd always come over and you know look over our shoulder but i mean that's what you know my brother and i we best that's what we did growing up. We didn't, we were outside or in the shop or, you know, fixing, tinkering with things or building things. You know, I feel like that's, that's such a cool childhood that it, it's a shame that, 
you know, there's a lot of kids that will never grow up like that. Keeps and not even necessarily because they don't have the parents, but kids just don't do that anymore. I can they don't get outside and real stuff. I can attest to that to some degree. I mean, when I was a high school auto shop teacher, it it amazed me how many juniors and seniors I had that were over sixteen that didn't have driver's license, didn't have yeah, like even that to get oh a driver's license. I'm like, how are you going to take a girl on a date? Are you going to ride her on your pegs on your BMX bike? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the yeah, mom drop you off, <laughs> right? Uber. I mean, are you that? This is this is pre Uber too. This is pre Uber. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say it's probably before Uber even. Because, I mean, I, I think that, too. Somebody actually just told me their son, he's 19 and doesn't have his license. And I was like, what? I was like, that's crazy. Like, everybody, you know, when when I was 15 and three quarters, I was, like, counting down the days to when I could get my license. Like, and so were all my friends. Like, oh, yeah. That's just, you know, to go three extra years and not have your license is just absolutely crazy to me. But, I mean, that's, I guess, what kids do now. They don't care. I can remember on my 16th birthday, I can remember what I was wearing. I was ready to go. <laughs> I was sitting on the steps of the back of our house waiting for my mother to get home from work to take me to the DMV, the Secretary of State in Michigan. And I remember, like, it was my birthday, so I could get away with it. I got a pass. But I was actually kind of bitching at her a little bit about being late from work. You know what I mean? Like, where have mm-hmm. you been? And I, And I had the shittiest... I had the shittiest car, Jody, of anybody. Here's what car I had. For my dad was always buying and selling stuff. Okay, and so right before I got my driver's license, my dad shows up at the house with a 1979 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am with T-tops, white with the big blue Phoenix on the hood and a medium blue interior. He pulls in the driveway. Of course, I go banana sandwich right i'm so excited i go out there and he's like get in and he takes me for a ride and he floors it and roasts the tires for his all the way past the house clicks it into second gear it chirps the tires and kind of squawks sideways a little bit in second (laughs) gear goes through third gear pulls into somebody's driveway backs up puts it in the front yard puts a for sale sign in it and tells me he's like like, he said he just knew that he was Giving, he was give, sentencing me to death that I was going to kill myself in this car, which, to be fair, I probably would have. Karen can, can attest to that. But that car was way too cool for you. Yeah, Karen's shaking her head right now. Um, <laughs> that, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> well, then, so he puts, he sells that, and he takes a 80 Mustang in on trade, a red 80 Mustang. He takes it on trade. Mm. He was, like, running a car lot out of our house, dude. And so this red Mustang had a straight six. But it was still a Mustang, so it was tolerable. Well, then I'm going to school the last day of the school. You know how they let the seniors out before they let the, you know, the, like a week before yeah. the juniors and the sophomores get out. I'm driving. I'm on the school bus my uh, sophomore year, and there's this 1975 Baby Blue Maverick four-door, rusted to shit. And, you know, the seniors <laughs> paint on their car like, you know, we're out of here and see you later. Yeah, like, class of, this is yeah. class of 89, class of 89. And I remember telling my friend, I'm like, look at that fucking car. I wouldn't be caught dead in that car. Swear to God, Jody, my dad sold the red Mustang to this girl. Her name was Cheryl Ingram. And he took that fucking car. Oh, my God, you took her mom. Yeah. It, 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 it just scarred me for life. He took that fucking car in on trade. And that was the car I drove for a year 
until I could buy my own car. I think that's how oh, my dad. Boy. That's how my dad taught me how to how to save up and buy my own stuff was buying me crap. <laughs> oh boy, I thought my first car was bad. No. Uh, an 89 Buick LeSabre. Oh, I remember that. White with a red leather interior. That had the digital dashboard in it. Yes. Yep. Yes. That would go out when I it was had, super cold, like you'd go out there in the super cold mornings to drive to school, right? And you'd turn it on in the digital dashboard when you come on. Did that ever happen to yours? <laughs> I don't think so. I didn't, to be honest. I didn't have it very long because I made the mistake of letting my boyfriend at the time go down the street, literally like a mile down the street to pick up pizza, and he hit a deer with it and totaled it. Oh, Jesus. And, you know, and of course my dad said, well, you shouldn't have let him drive it. And so I had to wait like, you know, two months before I could go get and get something else because he wanted to, you know, make a point. Right. Exactly. And it was, you know, and then finally, and then I was able to get a, it was, let me think it was, an, I was, that one was either an 89 or 90, like forget which year was which one, but it was a, um, a Oldsmobile 88. So it's like the same exact car, except for this one was white with a blue leather interior. The other one was white with a red leather interior. They were like typical, like old lady cars. And I was like, oh, but it didn't matter though. It didn't matter because like a couple of my friends, they didn't have their licenses yet. And I did. So it was like, I was the cool one. and didn't, you know, who cares what it was? We were able to like have our freedom. What year you was know, that? Come and go as you please. What year was this that you were talking about? When you were in when you were in high school? Um, so I was sixteen, so it was ninety eight. Okay, all right. So, did that have a CD player? Or did it still have a cassette player in it? Uh, I still had a cassette player. Oh man! So you slide yep. that. Digi- it even had the, slide it had that the digital radio underground. Like, <laughs> no, it didn't even have digital. It had the radio where you hit the you hit the button and the little like the little line thing goes. Choo! Like back and forth on the on the on the screen, like the, the where it real, had numbers. A legit push button radio where it would like so it had the the button it when you when you would turn the button really fast it go up, 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 up. yes up, like up, the little up. the little bar would shoom, like go down the other end like you know go to ninety eight five and then it would shoom, you did the next one and go to one hundred seven point nine like oh that is hilarious you just my took brother me and way I used to back. laugh so hard at that car oh my god that's hysterical. Honestly, that's yeah. But I mean, now, now it's like, you know, that I feel like kids automatically get good cars. Like, uh, yeah, I know. Like, my parents were not ever trying to live vicariously through me. Like, that never happened. <laughs> my dad was like, never yeah. bought anything cool, so that I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, some I see parents now that are dressed like their damn kids. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, pull yeah, your, pull your pants up. Like legit, you're 40. Pull your pants up. I don't see your underwear. So let me let me switch gears on here and talk a little bit about kind of the stuff that goes on in the shop. So we all know that you paint, right? Yep. And we all know that you build your your own you build your own motorcycles. I mean, I yeah, I work on my own. I wouldn't. I don't know that I'd actually say that I build them, but I definitely know about my own motorcycles and you know, and about any motorcycle. You know, but like at the shop, I don't physically, I don't build, you know, I don't, I don't wrench. Like that's not, not my job. And honestly, it's not really my thing. I could really care less to do that. I mean, obviously (laughs) I have to be 
knowledgeable about not only for my job, but also like when I'm on the cannonball or the chase, you know, just that kind of stuff. Or even like just riding my bike cross country, you know, regular bike, never mind an old bike. Right. So, I mean, you definitely have to be, I feel like the more knowledge you have, the better. But as far as physically wrenching, I don't really want to do that. So what's your, what, <laughs> I mean, is your, what is your main, but... no, I don't think that at all. I mean, look, there's things I don't want to do around here, you know, that I have to do that are, that are just assumed that, you know, that I do them just because of the tasks that they are. But so what, what yeah. is your area of expertise? Like if I go to Parowitz Cycle Fab on a Tuesday at 1130 in the morning, what is Jody doing on Tuesday um, at 1130? So I do a lot of our, um, like I do all of our marketing and stuff with like, you know, even like our paint shows, arranging the paint shows and um, getting sponsors and stuff. And then, you know, social media and that kind of stuff. And then even just like, you know, my dad's always got stuff brewing as far as, you know, what's going to happen or, you know, different deals or opportunities. So, I mean, I pretty much spearhead all that because he is not computer literate at all. (laughs) So, I mean, that's something, you know, he says, oh, can you email this person? Can you do this? Can can you do that? And Does your dad have an iPhone? he does. He actually does. And he, he's actually really good with his iPhone, but he's limited to what, like he, he does all his Instagram. That's, that's a hundred percent him. Right on. And that's, but that's about, about it. You know, like he, that's the extent of what he uses his iPhone for, you know, <laughs> other than phone calls and text messages. Right. You know, and he, he actually, he can check his email. He knows how to read it. And if you get him on a good day, he might figure out how to respond. But that's, you know, the same thing. That's the extent of it. And he doesn't want to learn. He, I mean, he could care less because he figures he's gone this far without all that technology. He doesn't, he doesn't need it. Right. Well, I mean, there's, you there's know, something to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and he kind of, he kind of chuckles a lot too at like these guys that, that, you know, they are just, social media towns like they're so fake on social media and you know he's like laughed at it because he didn't you know he didn't have social media he didn't no. have social media back in the day and that's the thing that's why why these people are famous because of social media and you know they don't they don't build anything they just make it appear that they are you know it looks they make things look good for pictures they mock things up five different ways so it looks like they're working on different jobs five different and, i never thought about that. that's a move Look at that! I can do that, yeah. I Karen. I'll go. I'll go do five different things. Yeah. I, that or the... I, I knew a guy one time that he took a he had a picture of a bike, and I don't even know what it was, but it was some app that you could change the colors, and he legit like changed the color of that bike three different times to make it look like he built three bikes. Clever. And nobody picked up on it. You know, yeah, it was crazy. I was like. Yeah, then I'm like, this is the same bike. When you pull that and curtain like back, it's pretty ugly. You know what I mean? When yeah. people that do that kind yeah. of stuff. So you yeah, and that's on... the thing with social media is you can do that. You can you can make yourself look like a million bucks in, you know, barely a $5 bill. <laughs> so let's parlay that into um, the death of the magazines. Oh, yeah. So have you seen the new Easy Rider? 
No, I haven't. Did they actually do an easy rider? They did, and they put that guy on the front of it that is, um, I think he's from The Walking Dead, that Norm guy. I, I And I may be talking out of school what show he's on, but it's a... I, I don't know. You would know him if you saw him. I don't him. watch that show even if it even if he is I, I on there. Yeah, I wouldn't either, but it's somebody it's somebody in Hollywood that actually rides a motorcycle as, as okay. well. His his name his first name Karen look up and see if you can see it it's his name's Norman I believe but he's on the cover of the new Easy Rider but I've heard it's I haven't seen it but I've heard it's it's obviously there's no nudity in it it's more of a GQ kind of thing and yeah well, I know it was like the people that bought it wanted to make it a clothing brand because they had like some big potty in Sturgis and that's what their goal was is to make it, a, you know, make it a, like, expensive clothing line. Perfect. That's what we need. Uh, Norm Reedus. Yeah, I was His thinking the Norm same thing, You know, the more affliction stuff. Yeah, more affliction stuff. More Just bedazzled jeans. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, that's the one right there. So that's Norm Reedus, right? Yeah, there's there's one on eBay for $30. I don't know. It's $30 just kind of a, for a magazine? Yeah, it's kind of a weird deal to me. Uh, you know, you have... The horse backstreet choppers is no longer around. Easy riders is no longer around. Hot bike is gone. Street chopper is gone. Um, Chris and Heather are holding strong in, in with Cycle Source, and and I honestly, I mean, I, I pray that they they. I've always thought that was a good magazine. I don't know, you Me know, too. I don't know where anybody else sits on it, and I personally don't really care because I I think Chris is as as much about it as as anybody else is, and he approaches things from his own way of doing it. Enough mm-hmm. to where I think when you look at a cycle source magazine, you're you're seeing it through his lens and now he's got his wife is helping him as well and their podcast is fantastic. But I agree. So it, so we have social media. We have YouTube. Do you have a YouTube channel? No, I don't. Okay. So I can't keep up. I no, I, I, I get it. So but but th- that's my point is I personally like to go to the mag the mail mailbox once a month. Have a periodical in there. I can read. I can. I, I my normal move was I'd I'd look at every page real quick, set it down, come back on lunch, read an article. You know, yeah. when I go home, read an article. Those kinds of things. I and I don't know how you feel about this, but I've got a couple of magazine bikes that were in magazines that are on our wall, and what do we? That doesn't happen. We just can't. That just can't happen anymore. What do we do? Right. I mean, we have, so in our showroom, um, like, which our old showroom was double the size that it is now. Right. And so we had it in our old showroom as well. And, you know, once we moved, we had to, like, pick and choose of which ones we wanted. But it's all around the whole entire showroom is all covers that my dad, just covers that my dad's been on. And, I mean, he has something like 130 covers. That's awesome. And, you know, those are cool. And they're cool to look at because, I mean, he has them back as early as, like, 71. Really? And, yeah, and, I mean, that's cool because, you know, granted, you know, you might be building bikes a long time, but to have a cover that's, you know, 45 years old is pretty cool and still be doing the same thing that you're doing. And, you know, back then, you know, like we said before, there was no social media. You were famous because you were in a magazine. That's the only way people knew about you. 
they didn't know, you know, from seeing your post of, you know, oh, what you were doing, you know, your shop on Tuesday. It was just what you read in the magazines. And that was, that was cool. Like, get a cover. And, you know, like you said, now, now what? Like, big deal. You got, you got the, um, the cover photo on some chopper group. You know, on Facebook, like, so now what? Like, there's no praise for no, building really a cool isn't. motorcycle. There isn't. I mean, you know, I I said earlier that Cody says that uh, that I'm like the the unknown known guy, right? Well, so <clears throat> when you're um, there's no praise for it, and there's no there's no accolade for it, and it's like there's no. I don't know, like you, you had mentioned like, so you had to be in a magazine. Well, to get in a magazine, you had to go to a show, right? Cause you had to get discovered. Right. Like a guy like Billy Lane who got discovered, he, 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 you know, says that Michael Lichter discovered him, right? He was at an easy rider yeah. show, had a bike, he won the show, had a, had a photo shoot done with him and it was, it was off to the races, but it allowed him to do more work. Whereas some people, once they do that, then they're done. They've got, they've got the thing to put on their wall and it's, and it's, it's lights out. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I feel sorry a little bit for the people now, because like I said, there is so many, I don't want to say competition, but there's so many people out there that a little bit of social media is a bad thing because you get lost in the shuffle. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's nothing that's going to separate you from anybody else unless you're outrageous with your posts and, you know, get 300 comments because, you know, you said something crazy that's sparking people's interest. Right. And it's like that's what you have to do to get noticed on social media versus actually building something cool. Which is why so many people that say uh, shitty things get so much shine to be fair right which sucks yeah i mean you know you're you're lighting up the wrong part of the room right <clears throat> so i don't think we got anywhere with the death of the magazine i don't think it's coming back <laughs> i think it's done <laughs> no i i agree i agree and the, the days you know i'm i'm like you i'm i'm like old school i like reading a book i love to read and but i have to have a physical book yeah, I like, won't read I it on a tablet. I have to have something in front. Yeah, like I don't read on a tablet. I don't read on my phone. Like I can't. I just. I and I've tried, and I just can't. I like to have physical thing in my hands and see like, oh, I'm already halfway done with this book. Yeah, there's a feeling of accomplishment, right? You know where you're. You kind of know where you're at in the mix of it. it yeah, it's like it's kind of like work, right? <clears throat> but right. You're working your mind. <laughs> You, yeah. So you you read a lot, like for for entertainment. Or, I mean, do you read self help? What do you, what do you what do you read? Um, I I honestly I read a lot of different stuff. I mean, I read like motivational books. I read um, you know, like success books, and then I read like James Patterson, which is like murder mystery books. You right. know, like so. I mean, I read definitely a lot of a lot of variety of stuff, and honestly, most of them are like. Hey, you know, I read this really good book. You want to read it? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll read it. You know, my mom reads a lot, so you know, we kind of trade books a lot. So, I mean, obviously, the the days of a bookstore are done, right? Um, 
but it's you know I hate to say it, but the only part, the only place that really sells books anymore is Target. Yeah, Target, and <laughs> nope. there's a there's a, what is the there's a there's a Borders. Oh no, Books a Million by us, and we'll go in there and, and buy stuff from time to time. Yeah, see, we don't even have that. Like I can't think of one bookstore around here. There's no, there's none. I know there's none because I've looked before to try to find a book, and I just have to order it online. That's scary. It's, it's, yeah, it is. It, and then like I think about it too. Like, do people not read anymore? Like, is that what it is, you think? Like, that's kind of hard to believe. Like, everybody's, everybody's not a reading. Tablet, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's not sad. And so that's, people tell me sometimes, well, yeah, I'm reading a book right now. I'm like, what are you reading? And they'll tell me, like, uh, they're reading Outlier. I actually have a friend who just told me this. He's reading Malcolm Gladwell's um, book, Outliers. And I'm like, oh, okay, how far into it? He goes, well, I don't know how far into it I am. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm uh, doing a book on tape. I'm like, that's not reading, dude. <laughs> That's not fucking reading. Yeah. That's, that's listening. That's somebody reading it to yeah. you. Like when you're in kindergarten and you don't know how to read yet and they're reading you a book. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's not, you're yeah, listening exactly. and not reading. Um, yeah, I agree on those, on those two. I can't, and I mean, I don't have a long drive to work, but you know, I tried listening to a, um, to a book, audio book or whatever. And I, you know, was the squirrel ran by and then I forgot what I was even listening to. Right. Just, I can't do that. I have to, like I said, I have to have a physical book in front of me in my hand and looking at it. Yeah. So let's talk about, there's, there's three events that, that you are, um, you're notable for. And I want to talk about, I'm going to tell you all three of them. And I kind of want you to, because I, I think they all play very well with each other and they're all very, um, they're very important, uh, piece of, of, the kind of accolades that you have and the, the recognition that you have. So okay. Bonneville, Sons of Speed, and Cannonball. So can you parse those out for me and, and explain to me, like, how fast did you, you – you still hold a world record, do you not? Yes. And so the world record yes. that you hold is what? Um, so, okay, so we'll start at Bonneville. Um, so my world record is uh, 207 miles an hour. So – at Bonneville, you have to go, um, everything is average. And one of the reasons that it's so hard to get, you know, a, a record out there is because you have to do it twice. You have to do it back to back in different directions so that you can't blame, you know, the wind or, you know, uh, just a fluke thing. So, you know, so you have to do it twice. So, you know, that's part of the whole thing about, you know, why so difficult to get a record at Bonneville because there's a lot of people out there that have gone 200 once, but they couldn't back it up. And not even necessarily could have been them. It could have been, you know, they go to impound and then they sit there for five minutes and all of a sudden the winds pick up. And now they have, you know, a 15 mile an hour wind that they didn't have before. And now, you know, they go to their time. So anyway, my, um, my fastest run so far at Bonneville has been, um, I went one direction going 208, and then I went the other direction going uh, 206. So, like I said, everything is average. So, not only do they average, you know, the 206 and the 208, which gives me the record of 207, but, like, my 208 run, I was going um, 199 when I entered the measured mile 
and I was going 214 when I exited the mile. And then that averaged, it averaged out to uh, 208. So technically I can say like I went 214, but I don't because that's not what my time slip said. You so, said so far. So that means you're going to do this again? I probably will. I, I would love to go back to Bonneville and I, I really intend on it. Um, you know, I just have so much going on right now that I kind of got to pick and choose what I'm doing. And, you know, but I, I will go back out there. There's no doubt in my mind because it is such a cool place. I mean, I couldn't say enough about Bonneville. What a, a cool, just to be out there and the whole mystique of it is, is really neat. It's just such a cool place. So, I mean, I would love to go back out there and, and break that. And I, I do think that I will. You know, it's just a matter of time. Tell me, um, tell me about the motorcycle that you rode. I mean, how do you? So, so, did you build the motorcycle? Did your dad build the motorcycle? Did you buy a motorcycle? Yep. Yeah. So, um, my dad, um, I had two two motorcycles that um, together on both motorcycles, I have sixteen land speed records right now. So, um, my first bike was a hundred cubic inch engine, which it was a gym bottom end. And then R and R, which is in New Hampshire. Oh yeah, they it do was their Reggie stuff is the cylinders best. and heads. Nice. Yeah, they're great guys, and they are so knowledgeable about horsepower and stuff. Um, and then I had my my tuna was Dan Thayer. He's out of Buffalo, and he is he is a genius. He is like an underground genius, and there's no doubt in my mind that I have so many land speed records because of Dan. I mean, he's just, he's a great guy, and he is so brilliant with horsepower. But, um, so the first bike was a 100 cubic inch with a supercharger on it. Um, and then my <laughs> second bike was a 120 with a turbo. And the, the 120 bike, we were getting, uh, around 315 horsepower out of it. Holy smokes. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's a beast. I mean, it is like, it is like does not like to go under a hundred. Like it is just tough to handle. It is that bike is a beast. But on the two oh eight run, um I was only at seventy percent throttle. So that bike has a lot more. How do you practice? It has for a lot something more like to go. How do you practice? You for that? don't. Oh, kiss yeah, my ass. No way. Are you kidding me? You can't. I'm dead. I'm dead. No, when I say kiss my ass, I mean, that. I would never do that. I, you've got way more gumption than I got. What does that feel yeah, like? I mean, what does 214 feel like? What does 214 feel like? I honestly, it's just a hold on with everything you've got and hope that, you know, you're going to hit that magic number. And the thing is, is out at Bonneville, you, if you go 199.9, that's not 200. You have to go 200, you know, and not only do you have to do it once, you have to do it twice. So it's just, it's so difficult because there's so many factors. You might have a bike with all the horsepower in the world, but if you can't get it to the ground, then you got nothing. And, or you might have, you know, the right horsepower, able to get it to the ground. You got the balls to do it. But the condition of the salt might not be good. And that changes day by day. So, you know, that it might be too sticky. It might be too slick. Uh, There's just so many. The winds. The winds <laughs> literally change within five feet. 
something that's five feet away from you could be in a gust wind and you get no wind or, you know, vice versa. Like, and it could be a crosswind or it could be a tailwind. It's just the winds are crazy out there because it's just so open and vast that there's nothing to break it. Do you lose and, your I mean, point of reference when you're on a salt flat? Like, like I, like I, the only thing I can equate it to because I have never done the land speed thing is I was a drag racer. I used to drag race outlaw street cars, mm-hmm. but you have, you know, you can see the finish line, right? So there's, it's very clear. There's the scoreboard, there's the, the Christmas tree. And you guys, I don't even think you guys use a tree out there, do you? It's just kind of like, no. Yeah. So no, because it's a go, it's a, it's a go whenever you kind of feel like it, because you, the only time that you are actually timed is when you hit that bed mile. And everybody uses, I shouldn't say everybody, but there's like three different dots that you can use. So you can use up to five miles to get up to speed. So that's like what the, you know, the streamliners that are going 500 miles an hour, they use that five miles to get up to speed. Um, Or like me, I use three miles to get up to speed. And then the, the slower bike, they use two miles. So depending on, you know, where you start on the, on the course, you're not hitting anything that counts until you hit that measured mile. And and that's at mile marker five. So, you know, so it doesn't matter. Like, you know, they say, they give you the green flag and you could sit there for five minutes if you wanted to. I mean, what run, what did your mom say? Like when you're like, I'm going to do this. I mean, (laughs) obviously your mom's, you know, I mean, she's been around it forever, but I mean, there's, she's still a mom, right? I mean, there's yeah. Be... I mean, I think both of my parents know that I'm going to do it regardless, and <laughs> right. you know, and, and and they support me. You know, obviously that you know they're they're all for me doing this stuff. I mean, I'm sure that she's nervous as my dad is as well, um, but they know too that I'm going to do it as safe as possible. And you know, I would like to think that I have a, a good enough head on my shoulders that if I said something wrong, I'm not going to push it, Right. you know, but you know, if the temptation's there, it might, I might push it a little bit, but you know, I think they know me well enough <laughs> to know how I operate. So how do you go from going 207 miles an hour at an average? So you go 214, we said, and then you get, you get on sons of speed, right? So how do you get involved with, yep. how did you get involved with the sons of speed? Is that something that, you heard about and you called Billy and said, I got to be involved or was it, I mean, um, cause it's, yeah, a, it's so, a new old thing, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so Billy actually called me and told me all about it. Like before, probably a year before, big year before it happened. And, you know, he's like, Oh, would you want to be involved? I think, you know, this could be a real opportunity. And I was kind of heavily involved in land speed racing, you know, that, I didn't really know enough about old bikes and I didn't, I didn't have one and I didn't have an extra, you know, 20, 30 grand to throw at an old bike to, to be able to ride. Right. The, it just kind of didn't happen that first, it was literally the first race. Um, in, at the time I am pretty good friends with Rhett Rotten right. and I had gone up to destination to see him and there was a huge rainstorm and we ended up getting kind of stuck up there for the day. Cause we figured, Oh, we'll wait out the rain. Cause you know, in Florida, it only rains for five minutes. Well, it just so <laughs> happens this rained all day. Right. But, um, 
so while I was there, he showed me his son's a speed bike that um, his friend Curtis Venable um, had built for Rhett to ride. Right. And I was like, man, this is so cool. Like, you know, sitting on it and, you know, them telling me all about it. You know, no brakes, no gears. I was like, man, this is so cool. I would love to do this. And Curtis said to me, well, I'll build you a bike if you want to race. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, I'm in. And literally the rest is history. I mean, and Curtis is very good to me that, you know, he um, he had originally, I originally wanted to ride an Indian because back then Indians were manufactured in Massachusetts. Right. Um, so he literally found an Indian Moda, you know, got it um, from uh, Barry Wardall. Yeah. Got it from him. Um, Billy built a chassis for it, and that was going to be my bike. Well, after riding it, we discovered that it was actually really slow. And that's the thing. There's no, you really can't make an Indi- those old Indians fast. Really? Um, yeah, there's just not much aftermarket, so to speak, stuff for it. So he built me um, a 1919J, um, a Holly. So so at this point, so now I have two bikes. So I'm in really um, 61 class and then the hot 61 class. Okay. So, you know, so, so I, you know, I'm ecstatic. I'm clicking my heels. You know, I got two bikes to ride. This is so cool. And, you know, it was just this, that whole race is, it's a cool experience. And even if I never raced in it again, I would say like, that is one of the coolest experiences because you're on this bike that's, a hundred years old and it is shaking and rickety and there's literally no suspension and you're still going 75 80 miles an hour around this track with no brakes and no gear and other people that don't have a clue how to ride <laughs> you know it's just it's, it's a <laughs> there's little the key because there have been some wrecks yes there's been many and that's a little bit why i say like if i don't do it again i'm okay with it because I kind of feel like at this point he needs to separate it and, and maybe have, you know, a, an amateur class and an expert class or a beginner's class, you know, kind or of some separate sort of it. A, some sort of a licensing program like they have in drag racing. Yeah. You have, like to, some you, you have to criteria. vet yourself. And yeah. Well, I mean, I know that he's worked really hard to make that be something different. I didn't always understand it just because I'm, I'll be real honest. If you ever make it down here to to my shop, like our our conference room is like I'm I'm a big fan of Billy's and always have been, and, and especially Warren. Warren and I are actually pretty good friends, and um, I just you know Billy was the guy that the the first chopper guy that I really you know dug other than my dad's stuff that that much. So it's such a departure for me when he is doing something that's so left or right of center of what I, you know, what I'm used to. But I definitely, the the more it's around, the more I can appreciate it. And the more people I know, like yourself, and, uh, you know, Freddie Bullwidge? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Freddie's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. And, uh, yeah, he is. And I know he does it too, you know, and, and he's he's all about it. So, you know, yeah. when, when you have quality people around something, it, it says something about the activity, right? Yeah, and I like I said, it is a that I think it's exactly like what you said if you don't, didn't really know about it. And I feel like that's what's lacking in it is 
to tell people, hey, this is a race on 100-year-old motorcycles with no brakes and no gears. Like, so think about that. You're going around in circles and, you know, you aren't slowing down in that corner. You're going hot on the straightaway and then it's like, oh, shoot, I can't slow down. So you got to hang that corner. Right. You know, and that's where... That's where the, you know, the better racers come in is in the corner. You know, that's where you get people is, you know, I, um, last October, I was on that Indian cause I had, um, so I raced, um, a 45 too, right. uh, uh, in the, in the, obviously in the 45 class, but, um, I had, um, my 45, I, um, the oil pump went, so I was out with that bike. The J, I ended up um, breaking a valve on that bike. So all I had left was the Indian. So I was like, man, my slowest bike. Like, oh, but, you know, I thought, what the heck? I'm going to, you know, give it all my effort. And, you know, and Curtis told me, he said, listen, the only way that you can win this race is to outride these guys. Right. You know, to literally hang in the corners and get them on the corners because, on the straightaways, I'm not faster. Right. And I ended up doing exactly that. And on, like, the last lap, I was, like, slightly, like, you know, maybe a bike length behind the guy that was leading. And on the last turn, I said, oh, my God, this is it. This is my one chance to get ahead of him. And I just, you know, kept it pinned, ducked, <laughs> and got right around him in the corner. And, I mean, I... I won that race by the a narrowest of margin. Yes, literally. But I mean, literally, like, you know, of course you always want that hype of, you know, oh, they're coming in neck and neck, you know? <laughs> right. And, but I mean, it literally was, and that was the only reason that I won that race is because I outrode the other guys. And, you know, cause I, like I said, my bike was definitely not faster. And, you know, and that's, that's what that race comes down to. And it's so cool because, you know, like I said, these bikes are so old and, and rickety and, you know, it's old style, but people just don't know about it, you know? There isn't, I don't know if, like, advertising or flyers or, I don't even know, maybe she'd be on more podcasts like yours <laughs> talking about it. I'd love to have Billy on my podcast. I haven't talked to him in probably a year since he, uh, last time I talked to him was right before he moved. So, and okay. now, you know, because yeah, now he's up get in Tennessee. Him on. Like, that's the thing. He needs to, like, do this stuff to build the race. And I know the thing that kind of sinks is, like, Billy's not a promoter. That's, that's not his forte. Right. So, it's almost like, you know, get somebody in there that, that can do it, you know, that knows this job and this occupation. And, you know, you stick to building bikes and doing cool stuff like that. I mean, but I don't know. You know, I'm not. I'm not one to judge or. No, I get what you're saying, and I don't think he would take that. Any, I mean, you've invested as much time and effort as as anybody has. That's you know, besides himself, you know, you, yeah, you yeah, and, and you know, talk like about said, it, and I, know. I want his race to succeed. I want his because I think that it brings a, a lot to motorcycling in general. You know, love or hate Billy Lane, he still he's in the game and he's bringing awareness to old bikes in racing so in my book that's cool at least it's something different right i mean he's always been an yeah. outlier 
I mean, he, you know, if you look at the stuff that he's pioneered, he's pioneered the six gun stuff that, you know, he licensed or allowed Jesse to use. And Jesse will freely admit that. And so will Billy. It's, yeah. in, his, it's in his autobiography. Um, he's come up with a lot of like innovative, the, the, the hubless wheel. He made that work before anybody else made it yep. work. I mean, a lot of people have copied him on that, you know, and continue to do so. And they, it's never, I'm not giving anybody any shit, but it's never as, as clever and as clean as the way Billy does it. I mean, he's just got his own, he approaches motorcycles definitely from, from a place of art, right? Yeah. Yeah. True. And so I think that, you know, it's going to take some time. I know that, uh, he, you know, when you're, he's building, not only is he building a different kind of motorcycle and getting people interested in building these motorcycles, he's also got to build a different, he's got to build an entire platform to use the motorcycle. He's got to build an entire platform to for the motorcycle to be viewed and there's no motor there's there's one motorcycle magazine anymore that's worth a shit yeah so where where are you going to do it you know he's got his youtube channel and things like that so he's got a tough road to hoe but i think that he'll he'll get it if anybody can get it it'll be him. yeah let's just say that i think we no can doubt. agree that that if anybody can make it work it'll be him right yeah and i mean i know his wife helps him a lot and, and you know she's pretty adamant with you know getting people signed up and you know that these are the rules and everything and that's definitely a good thing you know because it it you know them working together versus him just doing it all himself you know so it's just and i think it's you know time right good things are built on you know rome wasn't built in a day right that's one of my favorite that's one of my favorite uh my favorite (laughs) things so the the cannonball thing what what's the what's the the story on that? Because I okay I knew so, it was happening, um, and then all of a sudden I got a call from one of the guys looking for some parts, and I said, "Yeah, come down here and dig through my parts pile." And then that was the same night that I found out you were here in Lakeland, and then Karen and I came over, had dinner with you and stuff, and hung out. And so, what is yes. that all about? So okay, so that was that was the chase. Okay, so that's a little different than the cannonball. Oh, all right. Um, it's the same same idea so to speak so the cannonball is um it's a cross-country trip and it's pre-1929 motorcycles and it's you know it's usually about two weeks and you have to ride every day you have to ride from point a to point b and if your bike breaks down then you know you have to fix it but once you get to b then your team can work on the bike okay. so you have a truck and trailer that's essentially not following you but will be you know at point a and point b gotcha um so if you you know but like i said if you break down in the middle of the day you have to fix it yourself so the chase um which is what you saw me on this past september that is the same thing it's a um you know an endurance race from uh this past year it was from sioux st marie michigan the Key West. Um, so we did, I believe it was like 2,300, 2,400 miles. Um, and it was over the course of seven days, but there was no crew, no trailers, nobody with you, literally. So like I went hundred percent by myself. So you have to carry anything and everything you might need. So it's, it's a totally different challenge. And at first when they started talking about it, um, you know, because this was the first year for it. Um, you know, I had somebody had said to me, you know, oh, are you going to do it? And I said, no, 
no, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do it. And they said, well, why not? And I said, well, I don't really know. I don't have a reason why not. And they're like, well, you should do it. And I said, well, you know what? I guess I will. Like, I don't have a legit reason you know, to back reason, out of it I and guess. not do it. Yeah. And I just kind of thought like, you know, all right, I guess I'm doing it. So, um, you know, so I, I got a bike for it and, you know, we, we did it. And I kind of thought like, you know, boy, to do this like totally by myself is one thing. And then another thing of that you got to carry anything and everything you might need. So I'm gone for a week and I got to fill my saddlebags with tools and pots that I might need. Never mind my clothes or any of that. Cause you know, you still got to pack rain gear. You got to pack a jacket, you know, you got to pack that kind of stuff. Cause we went from, you know, 45 degrees in pouring rain to like 95 degrees and 95% humidity. Um, but so anything you took off, you still have to be able to carry it. You know, so I was like, oh, I'm going to have to wear the same jeans for like four days straight. Like, I'm out. I'm not right. <laughs> I'm like, a Nancy. That's literally what I thought. Like, I mean, I'm a good packer because I travel so much that I pack five minutes before we're leaving and I'm pretty good. There's 99% of the time I have what I need and, you know, I'm, I'm okay with what I have. But I literally packed and repacked probably six times for that trip because I was like, all right, I can fit this. I'm going to take this. No, I won't take this. Like, you know, because you really have to be picky and choosy of what you can bring. Cause you only, I only had like a, it was like a duffel bag on the back of my bike that had my clothes in it. That's it. The whole rest of my bike was tools and pots. And so how many times did you break down on that? Um, I was actually very lucky that um, I went the whole way and had like no issues. Um, but it was a lot of work because you're riding all day. You know, you, you're, you're up at 530 to be out, you know, in the parking lot by six to, you know, pack your bike and make sure it's going to start. And then you get your map at seven and you can leave at 730. So you got to load your map in the box and, you know, get on the road at say 730. And then you're not back to the, you know, to the destination till 530 at night, six o'clock at night. And then you have to go over your whole bike. You have to grease everything. You have to drop your oil. You have to check your tires, you know, check your chain. Like, you know, just make sure that everything is legit for the next day. Cause just cause nothing happened doesn't mean something isn't going to happen. Right. Exactly. And, and two, like, you know, you're out in the parking lot and everybody's in the same boat. So everybody's to the point where, you know, you're helping one another, you're letting somebody borrow tools or, you know, um, like oil. We had an issue with oil because you couldn't get any heavyweight oil, especially in Florida. Apparently you guys don't have old bikes that need heavyweight oil. Um, but so like it's like 70 I, weight or... I, or... Um, yeah, like 70 weight. Yeah. Okay. So like I had, I got nominated like two different times actually to Uber it to a advanced, no, what's the um, commercial one? Um, O'Reilly's. O'Reilly. Yeah. Yes. To O'Reilly's because they carried 70 weight and I'd get a case of it and we'd all share it. Perfect. You know, so it's, so by the time you go in at night, it's 10 o'clock at night, you know, so, so they were like day after day after day. Never mind the heat. Like the heat was just brutal. 
It was so hot, but that's okay though. You, you did it, and like the end was bittersweet because you don't want it to be over, but you're glad that it's over so you can finally sleep past you know five o'clock. Did you guys and at least enjoy the keys when you got down there? Yes, yes. I ended up staying there um, a couple extra days, and it was cool because um, my my boyfriend as well as um, my mother and my cousins and my aunt they all came down to you know to be at the finish line. So it was cool. Yeah, we we soaked up the keys for like three days, and then you know we're well, you key, you back were on the road rest, to go right? home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so and I won't go out a boat and stuff. So it was fun. I won't tell the story on the podcast because it's a little embarrassing. But uh, <laughs> you'll the next time you and Karen and I are in the same room, remind Karen will tell you the funniest story of me where I got um, I went a little too hard in the paint when we were in Key West a couple years ago. <laughs> Oh <laughs> yeah, and so I ended up defiling a hotel room that was about uh I don't know about a fifteen hundred dollar a night a night joint and <laughs> but it's a it's a good story but we'll wait that that it's not quite as funny as well it might be as good as the not quite as um entertaining as the Airbnb nightmare story but it's definitely as well, equally if, as funny. If you two tell it, I'm sure it'll be funny. <laughs> You two definitely play off of each other in our riot. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I wanted to let's see. I'm gonna. I've been taking notes the whole time. Uh, so one of the things I I heard a rumor, not a rumor. I don't even know what you would call okay. it, a story. And I wanted to okay. I wanted to corroborate it. So um, Paul Yaffe was on somebody's podcast and was talking about the origin of the hamsters, and I was surprised to hear that your your mother is Susan, right? Correct. And that she was the one that coined the name, and she is the, is she the only female hamster? Yes. Yes. That's kind of um, interesting. Yes, it's a He-Man Woman Haters Club. <laughs> um, and um, also known as your fellow yellows. Fellow yellows, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I get nicknames for them for everything. The um, Gravias. Um, but uh, yeah, so, um, I believe it was in 72, um, they were in Daytona and my mother and Jim Lanky, who was my parents, like best friend, um, got left behind in, uh, at the hotel and when they, they were sleeping, I guess. And when they got up, everybody was gone. So her and Jimmy came up with, I guess it's kind of like an old jail term. Okay. That um, instead of saying you were like a rat, you you were a hamster, you know, like you were, you know, not good. Right. <laughs> so they said they called them all hamsters and put like paper plates and said, you know, president, vice president, um, and so on on the doors of of the guys, and like from then on, it just kind of stuck and. They eventually, you know, made shirts like a couple years later and um, made Sturgis like their um, annual meeting because it was in the middle. Right. You know, there was West Coast and East Coast could meet there. That's, um, and that's about what I, that's almost like to the, to the letter what I, what I had heard. So yeah, <laughs> I just I was yeah, I mean, that's really surprised to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean now there's I believe there's over 350 members. Yeah, and you know, I know they do a lot of so. really good stuff for. Uh, I, and I'm friends with you know I I was friends with people I didn't even know were hamsters that I you just get to know people through 
through our industry yeah. and you know you you find yourself talking and having a conversation you're like hey i didn't know you had a yellow shirt yeah <laughs> you know? so that's 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 it's interesting it's funny to hear hear it from the he-man woman haters club that's what you call it <laughs> yeah. i do yeah i joke with them all the time because literally you know because there isn't any any females it's whatever you know that's fine because that's kind of how they were founded so you know it is what it is but um yeah, I mean, they're, they're a good group of guys. I mean, I would say that 90% of my good friends are all hamsters. I mean, like I said, like, most of my friends are 60 and plus. So when I'm 60, <laughs> I'm not going to have any friends. I'm going to be pretty lonely. Uh, you know, because I just relate to them so much. And I've grown up with a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, it's that, like a family know, kind of thing my almost. Friends. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, they're all good guys. So you're gonna you're gonna be down. You and your dad are gonna be down in Daytona. Yep. We'll be able to see you um, on Thursday at Willie's. Okay. Right. Yeah. Come by a paint show on Wednesday. Okay, that's what I wanted to get to. So we have you're gonna be Friday, Saturday. You're gonna be you, you're gonna be around New Smyrna Speedway at the for the practice rounds uh, of Sons of Speed. You don't know if you're doing it yet, but you're gonna be. Yeah. There, no, right? I am. I'll. Yeah. No, I'll be there. Okay. So you're gonna be there. Yeah, are you racing. actually gonna be racing? Yep. Okay. Fantastic. Yep. So, if somebody wants to check you out, they can see you. Because uh, I'm gonna try to, I'll try to release this episode tomorrow. I got a little bit of editing to do, but um, okay. So there'll be uh, Friday, Saturday, the first Friday and first Saturday. You'll be at uh, the Sons of Speed. You'll be at True Grit, right? Warren's yep. show. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll definitely. I'll definitely. I like Warren's show. So yeah, I'll be there. And actually, Friday night, um, I'm doing like a meet and greet thing. At okay. um, Hot Leathers on Main Street from 10 to 11.30. At night? So it's, yeah, I know it's crazy being so late. <laughs> and literally, I am passed out by 9.30. So I'm like. Well, yeah, because you're 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 late. a 60-year-old in like a 30-year-old's body, right? That's what you just said. Seriously. All your friends are 60. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm up before 5 a.m. now every day. So, okay. So we'll give so you a we'll pass. We'll give yeah. you a pass. So you're doing but, a, um, a meet and greet at Hot Leathers from 10 to 11.30. Yeah, on Friday night, it's myself, um, Billy Lane, Josh Owens, and Xavier. Oh, nice. Um, so the yeah, the four of us because we all um have uh, Hot Leathers does so Hot Leathers. We actually, my dad and I kind of just kind of did a deal with them to do all our um apparel, That's and what they're I was just doing our paint show shirts. Very good. Yeah, yeah, and so Billy, Josh, and Xavier, it's the same thing with them. Um, they have a line with hot leather. So it's a, so it's at the hot leather store on main street Friday night from 10 to 1130. All right. I'll come by there and uh, I'll bring you some coffee so you don't fall asleep. <laughs> I don't, the worst is I don't drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we are not a real 60 year old yet then. So I know so true. We, we can see you. We will be able to see you race this week the, uh, while you're down here that weekend. Yeah. at True grit. Now tell us about the, the Perowitz paint show is going to be Wednesday at the Broken Spoke? Yes, yes. So we will have um, the Perilous Paint Show um, on Wednesday um, out, out at the Broken Spoke, which we had it there last year, and it was awesome. It's a great setting. Um, there's, you know, shade for people to stand in. There's drinks, there's entertainment, there's food. There's, you know, you can walk around. You can and, watch the crazy um, bikers that are staying there at the Broken Spoke. Yes, that too. Um, and, like, there's enough. Is, um, a big paved, um, it's actually all paved, 
big area where, you know, it's not dusty and dirty. And, you know, so it's good for, for all the custom paint and it gets sun. So, you, you know, some of these paint jobs, like they need sun to be able to be appreciated more. And if you have sun, then people get hot and people don't want to stand in the sun. But that, that's like the best of both worlds there because they got plenty of trees they can, you know, catch some shade and then, you know, sun on the bike so that the paint, you know, sparkles. Right. Any cost to Is there any cost to, to enter that show? Um, yeah, it's um, 20 bucks to enter. Okay. Um, our show. And um, we'll have our new um, paint show t-shirt from Hot Weather there for sale as well okay but there's um it's 20 bucks to enter your bike but if you if, if pedestrians want to come in and just show goers they want to check it out is there there's no entry fee to do to nope. to watch that okay nope cool. I, nope the public is open open to the public anybody can come by um for free and our trophies um are you know, awesome yes yeah, that's like our thing is you know because we're a custom paint show we give first place is always a custom painted trophy um, so it, you know, it kind of depends. We ask other painters to help us out and paint trophies as well. Um, but for the most part, we get, um, tank hats from Paco. Right. And which is awesome canvases. Oh, they're bitching. Um, Those ones you had at Sturgis last year is awesome. I mean, I'm not a painter. Yeah. I don't know anything yeah. They're about really, it. they're really cool. And we try to like make cool stands for them or the one that, um, I actually am going to post it maybe tomorrow. Um, we got the, we're actually ahead of the game this year, which is odd occurrence, but we have the best of show trophy all done Nice, and it's wicked cool. I mean, it, it's really cool. DP did it and he did it. It's really cool. The stand for it, we made, we made a really cool stand for it. It's really cool. So I'm going to post that to try to get people excited for our show. And then, um, second and third place gets, um, a canvas, literally a canvas. Um, trophy. So I, I like to think as well as we give away a ton of swag too. Right. Um, yeah. You guys, so are, you like guys to, are really good about that. Yeah. I like to think that our show, you know, that separates us a little bit because you know, who wants to win you know, one of those cheesy no. I don't even know if they're metal, like plastic trophies. A like, bowling trophy? A bowling trophy yeah, with, a, exactly. with a motorcycle on it? Yeah. Exactly. Those things are just dust collectors. And then even, even a plaque. You know, plaque is kind of... <laughs> You know, right. it was like boring, yep. but, um, so I like to think we, you know, have, you know, the best trophies. Um, but so we, we definitely put effort into that and, um, you know, our prizes and stuff. So it's definitely worth it to enter because, you know, we try to give away a lot. That's awesome. That's, I mean, we, and you know what, I can tell you from our end of the, the deal, we, we appreciate that, that you guys are putting on a, on a show like that. Cause I always make sure when I'm in Sturgis that I go to the, to the Parowitz paint show. It's, it's a good Good right. way to start winding the week down in the middle of the week. Um, yeah. So we'll see you guys, and you guys will be hanging out at Willie's on Thursday, and then uh, any anything else going on Friday, Saturday, or when are you guys packing up and heading home? Um, I'm leaving on Friday, um, and I believe my dad's leaving Saturday morning. Okay. Because it's like by then we've already been there a week, and yep. we're itching to go home. Yeah, <laughs> right. To that, to the the, the ice cold weather that you guys have. Yeah, to, you know, uh, I'm sure it's snow covered ground. Although, knock on wood, we have had no snow, so it's snowed. I'm not in, complaining. I, before before I called you earlier, um, I was talking with Cody. They got like four inches of snow in Abilene, Texas. It was 81 and sunny here today. 
We had to turn wow, the fans that's on crazy. Show. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm not gonna lie to you. Florida's pretty awesome. That's crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, listen, at least dude. it's just consistently cold here. Yeah. Well, you're up north. You're 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 way up there. But yeah, you guys have beautiful right, summers though. though. Exactly. Makes us enjoy the warm more. That's right. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. This is awesome. Um, you know, I know you're super busy and I just want to try to try to get this thing going. I made a promise to myself that I would do 50 of these this year. And, uh, so far you're, you're number one and, uh, cool. I really appreciate it. And, uh, everyone else, yeah, uh, no they can check, they can find you Instagram at Jody yep. Perowitz, right? You got it. Awesome. Well, uh, have a great night and uh this thing will probably go out tomorrow and again i appreciate your time jody have a good one okay awesome thanks a lot jason have a good night (laughs) bye bye well there you have it that was jody perowitz from perowitz cycle fab um check her out on instagram at jody perowitz so uh you're listening to this looking for a good place to get your motorcycle worked on in the tampa bay area cycle stop usa in lakeland florida check us out online at cyclestopusa.com check us out on instagram at cycle stop usa and uh come in and see us we've got some new financing options for wheels and tires and service and seats and and all that good stuff handlebar jobs the whole deal and uh if you have a sport utility uh you know the uh utvs atvs Uh, Shannon is the best ATV, UTV, Honda, street bike mechanic we've ever had working with us. So proud about that. Um, Check it out. Thanks for listening. Appreciate your time.